Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. Last week I talked about how we all kind of think that our babies are special, and yes, I think my babies are special because they're mine. But when we look through history, there really was one baby who was more special. He was more special because he wasn't, he wasn't an ordinary baby. He was extraordinary. He was, is the Son of God. So this is a very special baby that we are celebrating in this Christmas time. Um, so last week, we took a look at John the Baptist, and we saw that he helped bring along this very special baby because he was the herald. So a herald was somebody who came in town before the king was coming, and he announced that the king's coming, so y'all need to get ready. The king's coming, so get the streets cleaned up and, and get your life, get your act together because the king's coming. And that was John the Baptist. He came to Israel. He came to Jerusalem, or just outside Jerusalem, and he was preaching saying, the king is coming, so repent. That was the first week. That was John the Baptist. This week, we're looking at another part of uh, getting ready for this very special baby. Um, in Luke 1, 26 through 38, we get to look at the mother, the mother of this baby. And we'll talk a little bit about Joseph, too. Um, but with the mother, um, and I didn't put the main idea up there, but we break this down into kind of three areas. Um, uh, this passage gets broken into three parts. Uh, we have the context. Again, I like to keep it all in context because it helps us to understand what's actually going on in the scripture. Um, context has been, it's been said that context is king when you are uh, translating, or not translating, when you're interpreting scripture. And so we're starting with looking at the context, and then we get a little bit, um, uh, Gabriel gives us, or gives Mary a message, and finally we get to see Mary's response. So we'll go ahead and jump right into the text here, uh, starting in tw verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee, Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So Luke begins, and he uses these two verses as a, a shift, and he shifts focus from what he opened the letter with. Now he opened this letter, uh, we talked about this last week, he opened the letter with um, Gabriel going to visit Zechariah. Now Zechariah was a priest, um, and he was married to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was from a, a priestly line as well, and they were old, and they didn't have any kids. Um, and so uh, when Zechariah was called to, to go light the incense in the sanctuary, uh, he walks in the sanctuary, and there's Gabriel, and he's startled, and Gabriel says, don't be afraid, you will have a son and name him John. Well, he says, well, my wife's old, how's this going to happen? And he goes, there's, there's a really fun story behind that. Hannah was kind of expecting me to get into it last week, and I didn't. But this whole thing about Zechariah wasn't, uh, since he kind of questions and doubted, um, he wasn't able to speak until John was born. Um, but John was the herald, or he was, he was the herald for God's Messiah, meaning he would come before the Messiah and prepare the people to receive the new king. So when we're talking about... Um, Gabriel visiting Zechariah and saying that Elizabeth was going to get pregnant, that helps us understand this first little phrase here. It says, in the sixth month. When you're looking at that, you say, the sixth month of what? Well, we see that Gabriel just announced that Elizabeth was going to become pregnant. So here where he says, in the sixth month, we're talking about Elizabeth's sixth month of pregnancy. So coming to the end of the second trimester, beginning the third trimester, um, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So that gives us a little bit of time frame here. 
Now, I will admit sometimes when you're reading scripture, it's really hard to grasp the time frame or, or the time lapse that's happening from one text to the other or, or one scripture to the next. Um, that truth uh, makes us, or at least makes me have a little more appreciation that Luke would throw this detail in here for us. So I'd say thank you, Luke, for this, helping me see how much time has passed from Gabriel's visit to Elizabeth now to Gabriel's visit to Mary. Uh, it's also important for us to notice that this is the second time in six months that the angel Gabriel brings a message from God to a human. We know now, looking back, that there absolutely is something big, right? An angel coming to visit a human two times, well, two different humans, twice in six months. There must be something big happening. Again, like I said, we look back now and we know there was something big happening. So we, we're zoomed in right now looking at this context. I'm going to take a second and zoom out and look at the bigger context of what's happening. We're going to zoom all the way out and look at the entire narrative of Scripture and get the, the full context here. So starting all the way back in the beginning, we see creation. God created everything. God created the heavens and the earth. He created all the stars. He created us and he created all the other animals and, and everything that we see and, and feel and study. God created all of this. And he created us so that we could be in perfect relationship with him. And he created us so we could be in perfect relationship with each other. But we look and we see something's gone wrong. Something went wrong. Well, yes, something went wrong. We read in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve chose to disobey God's will. They went against God's will. And that's sin. Sin is any time we go against God's will. And if we're honest with ourselves, we sin all the time. And that sin takes us out of that, that ideal creation of what it was supposed to be and puts us into a place of brokenness. Now that brokenness, we feel that brokenness in our life. We see the brokenness in our relationships around us. We see the brokenness in the creation around us. That things just don't work quite the way they're supposed to work. That's because of sin. And we look around and we say, is there any hope? Is there any hope? Yes, there is hope. There's hope in Jesus. Jesus came to be our Savior. He came to rescue us from our sins. See, because of our sin, we deserve an eternity in hell. We deserve to be punished. God is a holy God, and he cannot let sin be unpunished. If he lets sin go unpunished, then he would not be holy. He would not be righteous. So sin must be punished. Therefore, we all deserve eternity in hell. But Jesus came, and Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. And he took the punishment for our sins, and he offers to pay that, uh, pay our sin debt for us. He took the wrath of God in our place. And because of that, our relationship with God can be restored. Our relationship with each other can be restored. And that's where we get our peace from. It's through our restored relationship, first with God and then with other people. That's the peace. But ultimately, we know at the end, Jesus is going to be coming back and he's going to reinstate his kingdom. Uh, I talked a couple weeks ago about this already but not yet aspect of Scripture where we look at some of these prophecies and we see that, well, they've kind of been fulfilled, but not quite all the way. And the same thing, it's, it's the same way with the kingdom of God. Jesus came as a baby and he brought with him the kingdom of God. And those of us who are saved, we are members of the kingdom of God and we live according to the ways of the kingdom of God. But we look around us and we see there are a lot of people who don't live according to the kingdom of God. We see that creation still doesn't quite work the way that it's supposed to work. That's because the kingdom of God is not fully in place yet. And when Jesus comes back that second time, he's going to reinstate the kingdom of God. He's going to bring back the peace that we had with God in the Garden of Eden. 
It's going to reinstate the garden state. That sounds kind of like we're talking about New York or New Jersey, but we're not. Um, so there's the, the context of this passage. The, the great context, when we're talking about how it fits in with Scripture, but also the immediate context. This is happening six months after Gabriel visited uh, Elizabeth. But Luke also gives us some geographical context. He says, uh, he's talking about a town in Galilee called Nazareth. So Galilee is a region in northern Israel known for its fertile mountains. Uh, Nazareth is a small agricultural town in the southeast, sea of Ga- or southeast of the Sea of Galilee, um, and it's sort of south-central Galilee. Um, and interesting enough, um, in my studies this week, I learned that the city of Nazareth has been uh, constantly occupied like there's, it's still now a city there called Nazareth, um, and it's been constantly occupied since about 300 years before Jesus was born. So that's a, it's a pretty old city. And now when you go, the, the, there's a, the city up on the mountainside, and it comes down into the valley. But in Jesus' time, the city was mostly up on the mountainside. There wasn't a whole lot of people living down in the valley. Um, so we're talking about this town called Nazareth. It's just a small agricultural town up in the mountains. Um, this town would become Jesus' childhood hometown, though not without some early travel in his life. But that tells us why Jesus was known as a Nazarene. Finally, Luke needs to introduce us to a couple of people before he continues with this narrative. Um, he says, um, To a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name, the virgin's name was Mary. So uh, Joseph is Jesus' earthly father, though we will learn in a little bit that Joseph is not Jesus' biological father. We're not given much detail about Joseph in Scripture, but what always strikes me about him is that he always follows God's Word. No matter how crazy it sounds, he always follows God's Word without much argument. Now, if you've seen, there's a fairly new movie come out uh, last year, a couple years ago, called The Star. It's a really cute movie, and it takes a a lot of creative uh, license with the biblical narrative of Jesus' birth. But... I don't really think they do a good job of getting the Joseph character just right. As you watch that movie, Joseph's kind of a complainer. He's a whiner. He's always kind of fighting against what what God wants to do. But when we actually look at Scripture and, and Joseph's character in Scripture, he is constantly following God's Word. He is without doubt and without objection submitting to God's will. God says to take this pregnant virgin, that doesn't sound right. God says, take this pregnant virgin and marry her. But as if that didn't sound crazy enough, save your your marriage night celebrations until after the baby's born. Then after Jesus is born, God told Joseph to take this young family and go to Egypt for a little while. Flee to Egypt. Now, nowadays, we see families moving around all the time. But in the biblical era, Families didn't move around a whole lot. Travel didn't happen very often. Some people would travel within a region, um, but to move your family from one region to another region, especially from one country to another country, was pretty rare. So for God to tell Joseph to take your young family and move to Egypt, and he says, okay, no problem. Joseph strikes me as, as somebody who is humble and obedient to what God has to say. It does seem, though, that Joseph died sometime before Jesus' ministry started because Scripture doesn't mention Joseph again um, after there was a story about Jesus when he was 12 years old, and after that, we don't hear about Joseph anymore. We do, however, 
get to know a good bit more about Mary throughout Scripture. But Luke's introduction of her is, well, it's quite modest and makes her sound like just any other girl at the time. Uh, she's a young lady who is engaged to a guy, and oh, by the way, her name is Mary. That's what he says. There's a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name is Mary. So, oh, we've got this young girl over here, and the, 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 Gabriel's coming to visit her, and, and she's married to this guy, and here's a little bit about his family, but oh, by the way, her name's Mary. So it's a very modest introduction, but this young lady is getting a visit from God's messenger. Let's see what he says to her. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So Gabriel tells her, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now earlier I said that Mary and Joseph seemed like a pretty unassuming couple, but Gabriel says that Mary is considered favored. But he also says that uh, he also says why she's considered highly favored. He says, "The Lord is with you." Throughout scripture, one of the greatest comforts that God gives his people is God's presence. In our life, one of the greatest comforts that we can have is God's presence. God gives his people his presence. The presence of God is one of the most ridiculously amazing things about the God of the Bible. No other religion imagines a God who is all-powerful, creator of the universe, all-knowing, wise, righteous, and holy, yet comes to be with his people, who offers his presence to people, to humans. No other religion imagines a God in that way because it is, as I said, it's ridiculously amazing that God would come to be in our presence. See, God is with Mary, and he desires to be with all of us. It is God's desire for relationship with us that motivated, us, motivated him to create us in the first place. Then it was that same desire for relationship that motivated him to come to this earth and be born, to live on this earth, to live among us and take the punishment for our sin so, all, so that he could reconcile the relationship that we broke. The presence of God, it's a big deal to him and it should be a big deal to us. The all-powerful Lord of the universe who holds time in his hand, creates galaxies with a simple word, the God who knows every weakness and passion in your life, the God who defeated the devil with a big ugly stick, that God desires to be with you. He promises to be with you if you just place your faith in his sacrifice and atonement for your sin. But Mary says she was deeply troubled by this statement wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Now, I think this little bit here is pretty interesting. Um, because typically, when we see somebody encounter an angel in Scripture, especially when they just kind of poof, they're there, we see that they're pretty terrified just by the presence of the angel. But it's not the angel's presence that terrifies her. You know, quite often in the, in the movies, this scene is portrayed with Mary in her bedroom, um, either in bed or getting ready for bed. So it's kind of fairly dark. And then all of a sudden, poof, there's Gabriel right there. Now, I know I would be terrified. Zechariah was terrified. And I think you probably would be too if you're there in your house getting ready for bed and all of a sudden, poof, there's this strange guy there. 
but Luke doesn't say that Mary is terrified by Gabriel's sudden presence. Instead, she's troubled by his statement that the Lord is with her. I think this speaks to Mary's character. Luke is telling us that Mary is so humble that she didn't think she deserved to be in the presence of a holy God. But Gabriel offers a consolation for her. He simply reiterates how he first addressed her. He says that she has found favor with God. The idea that any human could find favor with a holy and righteous God should baffle us. See, though we are sinful, he still loves us. Though we rejected him, he still loves us. Though we deserve hell, he still loves us. We are favored because we are saved through our faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Now that's all good and dandy, but let's get to the real substance of Gabriel's message to Mary. He says, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So Mary's going to get pregnant with a boy, Now, twice in the first chapter of Luke, we read about Gabriel coming to announce the birth of a baby boy. But the details about these boys are quite different. We have Mary and Joseph versus Zechariah and Elizabeth. We have young and engaged versus old and barren. The boys' names are different, and they carry a different meaning. John, John means Yahweh has shown favor. But Jesus comes from the Hebrew name Joshua. So when we go in the Old Testament and we read the book Joshua, where we have uh, after Moses died, and then uh, Joshua takes kind of leadership over the nation of Israel and leads them into the the land, into the promised land, and, and defeats all these foreign nations out of there. That Joshua, in Hebrew, that's the same name as Jesus. And that name means Yahweh is help, or Yahweh is salvation. But most importantly, the difference is in what these boys will become. John will be the forerunner to the Messiah, but Jesus is the Messiah. Now look at the titles and descriptions that Gabriel has for Jesus. He calls him Son of the Most High. So Jesus is God's Son. This highlights Jesus' divinity and his royalty. Uh, Gabriel says he will be a king in the line of David. This implies that Jesus would fulfill the Davidic covenant. This is where God promised David that his descendant would sit on the throne and rule forever. Then uh, Gabriel says that he will reign over the house of Jacob. So the house of Jacob is, is just another way of talking about the nation of Israel. So again, this is hinting at the Davidic covenant, but it also alludes to the son of man messianic prophecies from Daniel's visions. So Gabriel brings a pretty incredible message to Mary. So how does she respond? If we keep reading, we see. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One will be born. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative, Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Mary asks a pretty, pretty obvious question. How can this be? Right, you, say, you say I'm going to get pregnant, but there's some prerequisite activity that I, I haven't done. So how is this going to work? 
But if you look at Isaiah 7.14, God actually planned it this way. In Isaiah 7.14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will concern, conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Now, this was, prophesied, this was prophesied that the Messiah would be born from a virgin 700 years before it ever actually happened. Also, Isaiah says that this baby will have the name Emmanuel. Well, Emmanuel as transla- is translated as, you all know what that one is? God with us. Right, Emmanuel is God with us. Well, interestingly enough, I find it quite noteworthy that this is exactly the reason that Gabriel gave Mary for calling her favored, because God is with her. So Jesus is God with us. Now, one more point about her virginity that must be made. Jesus had to be born of a virgin as God's son so that he would not inherit our sin condition. See, each and every one of us, we're born sinful. Jesus had to be born of a virgin so that he would not inherit our sin condition. We inherit our sin condition from our parents. It's been this way ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. So to break that cycle, the Savior of the world, who takes away the sins of the world, needed to be, needed to be conceived a different way. Gabriel tells Mary that this is the Son of God. Therefore, he won't have an earthly biological father. His father is in heaven. His father is God himself. Then Gabriel goes on to offer some encouragement to Mary. Yes, this is miraculous, but look what else God is doing. He says, And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. So Gabriel tells Mary, Look, I know all this sounds kind of crazy. It is kind of crazy. It shouldn't be possible. But look at your, your relative, Elizabeth. That shouldn't be possible either, but look what God's doing with her. So how do these things, he can do these things because he is God. He can do miracles. You think it's crazy to be a pregnant virgin? Well, do you remember Elizabeth? Her and her husband tried having kids for so many years, but that's a dream that's long gone now. But guess what? God opened her womb and she's pregnant too. Now, we're not told Mary and Elizabeth's exact relation here. I grew up thinking they were cousins. But when you look at the age difference, that seems to be pretty unlikely that they were cousins. Um, Considering this and and the fact that this was before Facebook, um, it explains why Mary probably didn't know that Elizabeth was pregnant. Not to mention they lived in two different regions. Uh, We learned that Mary is in Galilee and Elizabeth was in uh, Judea. And so Galilee's up here, Judea's down here. In between you have Samaria. So they're not really close relatives. They're not really close geographically. There's no long-distance phone calls or cell phones or Facebook or anything like that to keep in touch. So Mary knew of her relatives. She knew of her struggles, but probably didn't know this recent news that she was pregnant. So how does Mary respond to all this? Well, Mary's final response is pretty amazing. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. Mary indicates that she is willing to do whatever God asks of her. Again, It is this humble servant mindset that caused God to choose her to be the mother of his son. See, though she's about to be ridiculed for the fact that she is an unwed mother, she's willing to serve God. Though people will doubt her story, that she's 
somehow a pregnant virgin, she's willing to serve God. Though she has no idea how Joseph is going to take this news, she's willing to obey God and serve God. Mary is an example for all of us in this way. Let us strive to have that same mindset. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to God's wishes. So we get to our application. And again, we always get our application points from our definition of a disciple and our indicators of a disciple. That's knowing, being, and doing. So we look at this and we, um, what do we know from this passage? Well, we know that Mary's pregnancy was special. Mary was the virgin who became pregnant. It defies logic and it defies biology because it's a miracle. It's not supposed to make sense to us. It's a miracle. This was necessary so that Jesus would not be born in sin. Every human born after Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, is born in sin. We inherit the sin condition from our parents. However, Jesus is different. He is God's son, born of a virgin, so that he can be fully man and yet fully God. Sinless, so that he can take away the sins of the world. Her pregnancy was special because this was a special baby. Second, we need to be servant-minded like Mary. Not only was Mary's pregnancy special, but she was special too. On the outside, she probably didn't appear to be anything too special, just some humble young Jewish girl getting ready for her big wedding day. But her servant's heart makes her special. God comes down and stirs all that up, and, and she says, whatever you want, God, I'm here. And finally, the do is to make disciples. Do God's will in your life, and that's to make disciples. This is a natural follow-up to the last point. They go hand in hand. You can't say that you have a servant's heart if you don't actually serve the master. So show that you have a servant's heart by following through with God's will in your life. Now, many people struggle to know what God's will is in their life. And I can't give you detail by detail what God's will is for your life. But I can give you three very specific generalities, if that makes any sense at all. Okay, first, God's will for your life. You ready for this? Be saved. God's will for your life is to know that Jesus came to save us from our sins. To know that he was born of a virgin and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross so that he could pay the penalty for our sins. When we place, <clears throat> when we place our faith in him, our sins are forgiven and our relationship with God can be restored. And if you have not accepted Jesus as your savior, that's how you can be obedient today. That's how you can follow God's will in your life today. So that's the first point. The second point is to join membership with a local church. I know I didn't talk specifically about this in this sermon, <clears throat> but when you take an honest look at scripture, we see believers committed to one another, holding each other accountable, helping each other grow, supporting each other, and loving each other. If you have accepted Jesus as your savior, and the second step is to join a local body of believers. If you have not joined a, a membership in a local church, let's have a conversation about that. And then the third point here, so if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you've joined a local body of believers, the other part of following God's will in your life is to make disciples. For every follower of Christ, this is our mission, make disciples. Everything we do as a church should have this motivation, making disciples. All of our relationships have this purpose. Jesus commissioned all of his followers, make disciples. So our application from this sermon, know that Mary's pregnancy was special 
because her baby was special. Be servant-minded like Mary and to make disciples. So let us pray. Heavenly Father God, I thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus to be born of a virgin so that he could be sinless, so that he could take away our sins. God, I thank you that he took the wrath that we deserve, that he paid every penny of our sin debt. God, I thank you that we can be redeemed and brought back out of that sin, back into relationship with you. God, I thank you for that. Lord, I pray this morning that you will help us to know that Mary's pregnancy was special because your son is special. God, I pray that you will help us to be servant-minded. Help us, God, to, to serve you and help us to follow your will in our life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit victorybaptisthopemills.com or facebook.com slash vbchopemills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.